The National Public Safety Partnership presents the Crime Scene Excellence Podcast. Episode 2, Case Officer, Control and Communications. And now, retired Lieutenant Floyd Wiley welcomes Brian Russell, Deputy Chief of Investigations for the Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice, to discuss Case Officer, Control and Communications in the second of five podcasts on Crime Scene Excellence. Floyd Wiley here for the Institute for Intergovernmental Research. This is the second of five podcasts of which we will be discussing the critical elements when responding and managing major crime scenes. We're going to cover the second letter, C, of our SCENE acronym of the Crime Scene Excellence concept. In this segment, we will discuss the importance of the case officer, control of the scene, and communications. For this discussion, we have Mr. Russell, retired captain from the Richmond, Virginia Police Department and a commander of the Major Crimes Division. Before his promotion to captain, he served five years as the officer in charge of the homicide unit. His past supervisory experience includes uniform operations, robbery, aggravated assault slash sex crimes, the Firearm and Fugitive Task Force, Youth and Family Crimes, Arson, the Community Response Team, Property Crimes, and the Training Development Unit. Mr. Russell is a 36-year veteran and served in the Organized Crime Division's Narcotics Unit for 11 years. His assignments included the coordination of undercover operations, long-term historical drug cases, and political corruption. Other assignments have included long-term undercover, uniform, special operations, street crimes, the Metropolitan Richmond Multi-Jurisdictional Narcotics Task Force, violent crime, and the United States Attorney's Office Political Corruption Task Force. Mr. Russell has instructed for the Virginia Department of Criminal Justice Services drug cadre for the past 36 years, and he's assisted in authoring the basic and advanced undercover investigators training manuals used by the Virginia Department of Criminal Justice Services. Brian Russell serves as the Deputy Chief of Investigations with the Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice in this position. He oversees investigations involving criminal, prison rape, elimination act, and gang activities of juveniles who are under the care of the Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Floyd. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, listen, it's a pleasure to have some time with you today. Brian, from your past experience, let's start off our discussion with the case officer's responsibility when they navigate the initial response of a violent crime scene. But then let's move into the importance of control of the scene, and we'll finish off with this segment on uh, communications um, on the crime scene and transference of uh, chain of command. So does that sound good for you, a good format? Yeah, that sounds like a great format, Floyd. Great. So let's kick off with the case officer, Brian. The initial, actually, first responding officer is the initial case officer assigned to that particular scene. Now, through the process, there's going to be several other case officers um, as the chain of command and control switch. As personnel and resources start to respond um, to the scene to assist the initial uh, investigating officer or responding officer to that scene. You know, as as a case officer, um, you know, basically you're the first one on the first person on the scene. I mean, you're the incident commander in charge until a supervisor arrives, um, and it's your responsibility to take control of that crime scene and pro until properly relieved. Um, 
knowing um, your authority and maintaining situational awareness is paramount to, to controlling the crime scene. Obviously, you have to maintain clear and precise communications with responding units and supervision. So let's just talk about the first responding case officer right off the start. You, re you get the call for service, you respond to the scene, um, you arrive at the scene safely, that's the most important thing, um, and then you're do doing a, a evaluation of, of what you know, you're dealing with upon your arrival to the scene. And the first thing is, is that what do you believe has taken place? You know, what type of crime? Um, do you have multiple victims? Um, do you have an evidence crime scene um, that's many blocks or is in a contained area? Um, and what is the magnitude of the problem? And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you could have an active crime actually taking place or an active shooter uh, taking place. So you have to be aware of what the magnitude is and what resources you're going to need to secure that scene or deal with, uh, with the threat, so to say, um, if it's an active, um, active crime scene. And, and let me ask you a question, and you mentioned earlier about the case officer being an incident commander. Sometimes patrol officers sometimes are intimidated by that word, the incident commander. Can we just touch on exactly what that means and, and how important it is to establish that you're the one that's actually in charge of that case officer? Yes, a lot of times what happens and what I have seen in my career is that somebody not present on the scene tries to direct personnel um, from not being present on the scene, which creates problems. Um, so that actual officer is the incident commander, and he or she you know, is on the scene there. They should be directing any kind of additional officers um, to where they need to go, um, what areas need to be secured, um, getting the basic information out um, if there are suspects having been identified or you're looking for a certain vehicle or whatever it may be, and determine how many in officers you're going to need to secure that scene. Exactly. And so even if you're a junior officer, yes, you're going to try and communicate with supervision, but you are in charge of that scene. It's yours. Correct. You, you are in charge until you're relieved by uh, a supervisor and then later on somebody from the investigative um, unit that responds to that scene. Right. So in, in terms of controlling that scene now, so you're the case officer, you're on scene, you're the incident commander. Now it's your responsibility to take control. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I, you know, obviously you have to take control. And here's the thing. If, you know, you get to the scene, it is paramount that the safety of the individuals at that scene are, are the most important thing. The first thing that we need to determine is, you know, does first aid need to be rendered? Does fire need to be called? Does EMS need to be called? You actually have to perform life um, support or CPR on, on the, the individual victim if it's a gunshot or if it's a violent crime to, uh, to make sure that you can stabilize them until other personnel arrive. That, that's going to be the most important thing um, at the scene um, with, with a victim. But there also could be other potential dangers at, at the scene that you're not aware of. You know, you have gas leaks. You could have a bomb situation. Um, you know, you could have a car that was involved in an accident, um, you know, that's leaking gas. Um, you have to be aware of that. You could have power lines down. So you have to make that assessment of your environment um, to make sure that anybody else coming into those scenes 
um, can come in there safely. Right. So in, in doing that, that's like a lot of responsibility for one person. And so when that case officer gets there, and let's just use that junior officer, at that point in time should be calling for, for backup. But when people come trying to assign people to those other responsibilities uh, so that they can be a force multiplier while he's gathering the most important information through note-taking to be able to pass on to supervision, right? Correct. Uh, you know, a lot of times um, dispatch will actually assist in kind of rendering assistance or additional officers to that scene based on the information they, they're getting from the E911 caller. It's probably highly unusual that if you get a call of, of a shooting or a homicide or an active shooter that you're only going to have one officer respond to that scene. More than likely, you're going to have multiple officers responding to that scene. Um, and somebody needs to take charge. Uh, somebody needs to be in charge. That usually should be the initial log officer to that call um, would take command of that particular scene until relieved. I got you. We're trying to control the scene and put the necessary people in place and the resources in place. So part of that is going to be also uh, – Number one, detaining any suspects that are there. Uh, once we've dis uh, got the scene safe, we've got medical coming if there's an injured uh, individual on, on site. We've provided medical. But the other portion is how do we start to detain a, uh, or to communicate with witnesses, if you will, knowing our authority, uh, how do we deal with that? You know, depending on the scene, that could be extremely difficult. Uh, I, I have been on scenes in, in the past where – Family members um, start arriving to the scene if it's a homicide victim or if it's an individual that, you know, has been shot or received a, a serious um, injury. Um, obviously, those individuals are going to be upset. And, and initially what happens is, is that they, especially in homicide cases, um, at those crime scenes, it gets a little hectic because those individuals want to enter that particular crime scene um, to because they they're in disbelief that that one of their relatives has been shot or or God forbid is a victim of a of a homicide. So you're going to have an emotional family arriving at the scene. You know, depending on what time of day it is, you're going to have other members of the community that could be out there. Uh, in particular, I remember working a, a a homicide where a gentleman got shot as kids were getting off a bus, um, and you know we, we had that to deal with. Um, things that I think hampers investigations is that witnesses don't want to cooperate. Well, the, the first part of that process is, and, and like you said, Floyd, is, is that we need to identify those particular witnesses the best we can at those particular scenes. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. Obviously, you can do a canvas. Um, witnesses are there at the scene. Hopefully, the community or people in those communities will step up and start providing um, information. Um, if you can't hold them at the scene, I mean, obviously, if, if they're a witness, um, you can't take them into custody and, and hold them at the scene. You have to do the best you can with trying to convince the individual um, to stay at the scene, at least until an investigator or detective arrives to interview them. Or if they don't want it at the scene and they're talking, it's extremely important that you document those statements that that particular witness is, is, is telling you. And I will tell you nowadays that the thing that helps the most is body-worn cameras. Right, right. You have that body-worn camera on, 
Um, if they don't want to identify themselves or they don't want to provide information or contact information, at the least you're going to have uh, a video of that individual so that the investigator can come back at a later date and, and try to identify those particular individuals. Right, and it also comes down to strong interpersonal skills uh, when making contact because knowing your authority, like you said, you, you can't detain the witnesses. If it's a suspect, we can detain and arrest them, but we can't detain the witness. So it, it really comes down to us uh, being skillful in our craft of communications. Uh, uh, correct. Uh, you know, what the officers need to be aware at this scene is, is you know, license plate numbers are important. You have an LPR, run that through there to record the license plate numbers. At least there's something. Give, give the investigator something to go back and follow up on. You see him go into a residence that's 123 Main Street. We'll make a note of that. And I can tell you that documentation is extremely important um, when the investigator has to follow up, especially with those witnesses that are uncooperative at, at this point and don't want to identify themselves or come forward. Gotcha. So let, let's move on uh, to uh, communications, uh, you know, making sure we have clear and concise communications of, for, from the responding units that are going there to the case officer and supervision. Let's talk about that chain of events. A lot of times what happens when you change command, I mean, you're going to have the initial officer that responds to the scene. Um, that's going to be the initial case officer that we're talking about, um, the uniform officer. Um, you're going to have a supervisor arrive at the scene, and usually it's going to be a first-line supervisor, a sergeant, so to say, that will take over control of that particular scene. You're going to have other arriving units. Coming to, coming to that scene depending on what the situation is. At the least, you're going to have an investigative team that's going to come out there and probably a forensics team that, that's going to come out there. So basically, you gather as much information as you can for the initial case officer who is a uniform officer, put it together, and then to start disseminating it right to the initial case officer at the scene, which was the uniform officer, and get as much information as I can being an investigative supervisor. So, um, you know, I had direct knowledge of what the individual was telling me. The sergeant's responsibility at that scene could have limited information and, and, and do limited things, but they're basically in control of that scene to make sure that the other officers are assigned tasks and get relieved and, and you know, look out for the protection of that particular crime scene. Right. And so let me ask you about, as far as the radio traffic, like, can you discuss what that kind of should look like? What I've seen before is, is if you have an active scene or a major scene where it's a high-profile homicide or um, some kind of serious um, violent crime, what happens is, is that officers, and especially supervisors, want information right away. I get it. They have to do notifications. But the problem is, okay, when you talk about communication, is, is that a lot of times that initial information that's being passed on is incorrect, all right? And people are making decisions and um, deploying individuals based on incorrect information. My best advice, I can tell you, is just to slow it down. Um, you have that scene secured. You gather as much information as you can. Um, a lot of times in other in, in departments I have seen, and especially when I was in Richmond, we used a um, briefing sheet to to record that information, so we could actually disseminate it um, in a way that not only was written, all right, but officers didn't forget um, 
what information they, they should be looking for at that particular scene. And now you're going to have investigative units show up. At that point, the the, the case officer and, and the command of that crime scene will change. It'll, it'll change from uniform operations who did the initial uh, response um, to that scene, and now it's going to be the investigators that are in charge of that that scene, and you're going to have forensic investigators. They all need to be briefed. You're probably more than likely going to have supervision and command staff that's going to show up at the scene. Um, th those briefings should not be done by that initial officer. They should be done by um, a shift commander or, or lieutenant or a captain after all the information is gathered. Um, usually the investigative supervisor would brief the command staff. I did not like doing multiple briefings um, at the scene. Um, as individuals arrived, I said, hey, we're going to just slow down here in about 20 minutes. When everybody arrives, it's coming. I will give a briefing. That kind of slowed things down and gave the um, investigators um, or the investigative case officer the time to gather information and, and give it to me, and then I could actually um, – brief them all at the same time. Got you. So, Brian, I'm going to take you in this direction. Um, in, in terms of the communication, I want to talk about the chain of command as far as, like, the supervision and responding units uh, monitoring the radio traffic and as it is a priority call. And, and responding units should avoid stepping on each other during this priority uh, radio traffic. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, when you have a scene like that, obviously – you know, there's going to be some excitement by the officers. Um, we've all heard it, right? Yeah, we've all heard uh, stories. Uh, usually what happens is, is, and it should be a good protocol, that once that initial officer um, arrives on that scene, dispatch should hold the air uh, for that officer to make that assessment to make sure that there's no threats. Um, if medical and fire personnel are needed to get those individuals rolling because of the safety of the community and, and the neighborhood and or the life of the victim um, is, is utmost in, in important. So there shouldn't be um, it, all this chatter on the radio. Um, dispatch needs to just hold it until that initial officer actually releases the channel for for regular traffic. Right, and some units can just use their MDT to communicate to dispatch that they're they're en route to that location, right? Correct. Right, and then the other thing is sometimes you will find that um, before all units are in place and, and we've kind of got this thing, um, we're starting to get it organized, that sometimes uh, you'll hear people try to switch the frequency over to a, a separate frequency without making sure everyone's on. Can we speak to that? Yeah, that happens quite a bit, especially if you have an active incident where you're, you're taking that particular incident and, and transferring it over to another channel to resume regular operations um, on, on the initial channel. Uh, good practices, uh, dispatch should tone um, out over the radio that if there's an incident at 123 Main Street, that all individuals on the scene will switch the channel from channel five to channel seven, and that needs to be toned out um, on um, on every channel with, within the uh, within the district or whatever channel that you're particularly using. 
Gotcha. I want to close out on radio traffic being recorded uh, on the importance of being concise, clear, and professional. Yeah, I, obviously, as, as the investigator arrives, one of the things that he or she is going to do um, later when they start putting this investigation together is to pull all the calls for service, the phone calls, as well as all the radio traffic uh, that takes place of people arriving to the scene. A lot of times what we find out is, is that there is communication over the radio um, that actually could give us leads in particular cases um, that has maybe not been documented because of the, the excitement at the scene or what may be transpiring at the scene. Um, a lot of times we find out that there's valuable information that those officers actually put out there. And you, and you mentioned MDTs. One of the other things that, that's going to be taken as part of the investigation when we talk about professionalism and conduct at those particular scenes is those, that MDT traffic or texts or using the MT, MDT to communicate is also going to be looked at as part of the investigation. So officers need to be aware of that also. And keep it professional. Uh, even though there's a lot of excitement going on, and sometimes, um, you know, it gets the best of us, but, you know, we have to keep in mind that, you know, we need to act professional in those matters because those incidents or, the, or, or that radio traffic and those MDT messages are probably going to show up later in, either with the defense attorney or in court. Exactly. Hey, listen, Brian, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I also want to encourage our listeners to visit the Public Safety Partnership website at www.nationalpublicsafetypartnership.org. That's www.nationalpublicsafetypartnership.org for more information on this topic and other public safety partnership topics. Have a great day. Thank you, Floyd. Pleasure being here.